As we continue our time of worship, let us turn to Philippians chapter 4. I would encourage you to turn there. I'm going to read just four short, short verses. Actually, technically it's five. I can't do math. Math's hard. But let me just tell you, I am a crybaby. Because I saw the three baptisms and I just started tearing up. Because it's such a beautiful expression. It's such a beautiful expression of the gospel that we all need day in and day out. Whether it is a first time profession or it is a thousand time profession. The necessity of the gospel in our lives is paramount. It was such a beautiful depiction and to see friends get baptized is so awesome. I'm glad we're not getting hypnotized though. So Philippians chapter 4, this is a perfect verse for this. Let's look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near, amen? Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and this God of peace which surpasses all comprehension all understanding all human wisdom all wisdom and knowledge of this earth will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus finally brethren whatever is true Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Let us pray. God, I come before you and I am so, so thankful for the beautiful depiction of the gospel message that while I was an enemy of God, Christ willingly died on that cross for me, that he became what I could not, that he became the propitiation for my sins to appease your righteous indignation against sin, that I could benefit and be in relationship with you Lord, I thank you for the cross and I thank you for the professions of the hearts. Lord, I pray that we do not grow weary in well-doing, but that we would persevere, pressing in, moving on, spurning each other towards Christ-likeness. It is in Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Bruce. I'm going to take this moment to open up some seating for us and send all of our kids out over there. You see Kyle standing over there. He's waiting to take you guys all back. Head on back. Oh, you're not? Okay. Well, head that way anyway. Head towards Kyle, if you would. As he is uh, taking those kids out, I'm going to ask the rest of you to open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We are in week 3 and chapter 3. And I will tell you this. As I watch all those kids go out, watching Ellie get baptized, I love seeing kids get baptized and taking that step. I love seeing adults taking that next step. It's a beautiful thing. And I'll tell you what, though, 
This week, I'm pretty sure Satan did not want any of this to happen. Because on Thursday, somebody took out the power box right over here next to us, and we had to cancel our third Thursday prayer event. On Saturday, um, I got an email first thing in the morning that our water had been shut off to our building because there was a leak over there, and the city made it shut us off. Well, you know what makes it difficult to do a baptism? Having no water. So um, we prayed about it. As a matter of fact, Steve, he has a trailer with a giant water tank on it. We filled it up. We were able to do it. They turned the water on because we actually had backup plans of buckets in the bathroom. That would have been beautiful, right? Welcome to church. Here's your bucket. You know, uh, <laughs> but to see this take place and to see this happen is an amazing thing. And I, I hope your heart is challenged to take that next step, whatever it might be, with Christ. But... I think about all the battles that we have in our lives. All the things that we're constantly having tugging with. And um, I'm amazed at the variety of things that are offered to us every day to help us find the secret of life. Now, find the secret of successful living. If you Google success online, my guess is is you're going to find dozens of different articles that are going to tell you how to cope with various problems. There's going to be TV commercials that bombard you with This is how to have the successful life, or at least appear to have a successful life. You're going to hear from fitness clubs and such, or health clubs and saunas and whirlpools and and massage places that are going to say, hey, relax, that way you can face life with calmness. Various kinds of drugs and drinks are available for us to turn to, to turn us on, to turn us off to amp you up, to take you down, or whatever. You have to understand that they spend hundreds of billions of dollars on advertising to target you and your search for happiness. Now, you've probably heard this question before if you've ever watched Monty Python, but that question would be this. What is your quest? What is your quest? And I could do with the English accent and have all kinds of fun with that, but really, according to this world, this is it. Our quest is finding happiness and ultimate fulfillment. That that is our quest, and the companies know it, and they're targeting you with their their billions of dollars of advertising, and guess what? It's working. Because we spend an equal amount of money, hundreds of billions of dollars, every day to try and complete our quest. But that's the quest that this book of Ecclesiastes is all about. The greatest experiment ever performed in the history of mankind to test the various approaches to success, to test the various approaches to enjoyment or contentment in life. And that book was written 3,000 years ago. 3,000 years ago. And this experiment is really what we've looked at for the first two chapters. And the conclusion was, if you remember, it's all futile. It's all meaningless. All just wasting time between birth and death. Wasting time between origin and destiny. Well, speaking of time... Welcome to chapter 3. Chapter 3 is all about time. It's been read at thousands upon thousands of funerals. This chapter was actually turned into a song by a group called The Birds in the late 70s. And it was called Turn, Turn, Turn. Actually, in that song, only six words are not found in the book of Ecclesiastes. That's what it's all about. It's all about time. So with that song being called Turn, I would ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to chapter 3. Because it's all about time. It's all about seasons. It's all about the time and seasons in our lives that we consider good 
And it's also about the time and the seasons in our lives we consider maybe not so good. That is what this chapter is all about. And it's all about God's sovereignty or God's control over what happens in our time. This whole chapter reminds us there's an appropriate time for everything in our life between our origin and our destiny. It's part of the reason why I asked Pastor Bruce to read Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8 up front today. Because it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. As it says, Rejoice in the Lord always, one of my favorite verses is found in 1 Thessalonians 5, where it says, Rejoice always. Solomon here gives us the how. How do we rejoice always in the good times and in the bad? How do we do that? Well, that's what this chapter is all about. From the very beginning of our series, this book has been about the search for meaning, the search for for purpose, because it's a question we all ask. What am I here for? Well, this chapter is going to include the ideas of suffering and death and time and eternity. Really, they're the ingredients of the life that we live. They're the ingredients of what we're here for. But it also, this chapter hits us with who we are. This chapter reminds us that we are unique, unlike the animals. If, you've, if you understand this, you understand that, that we've been created individually on purpose and for a purpose. You have been given a special time to be born. You have been given a special time to die. And you have been given a life full of seasons, all the ups, all the downs, all the goods, all the bads that fit in between that birth and that death. It's important to understand that we're individuals and we are unique. Because if we are not individuals that are unique, then we are not important. And if you are not important, then our life has no meaning. If your life has no meaning, then we're just wasting time here. That's basically what this all boils down to. That life is not worth living if we don't understand our origin to our destiny. I mean, it's a a struggle that our world deals with every day. Because they've been taught for many, many years... You probably are included in this, that you are an accident. That you just came from some primordial ooze that was whatever the deal, and things came, and you're just here because. No, you're here on purpose. And when you realize that, it changes our perspective about the goods and the bads, and then as well as eternity. If you go back to chapter 1, the first argument that, that really was laid out in Solomon's experiment is that Life is just monotonous. It's just drudgery. This world is nothing but chasing the wind. And if you have a God perspective, it changes things. The first two chapters, he took a non-God perspective, a human perspective, a I'm just here to do what I need to do and die. He changed it to a God perspective because he wanted to challenge his conclusion. That's what we're going to see for our next eight chapters. He wants us to look at four factors before we say that life is just drudgery. Life is just monotonous. Life is just chasing the wind. Life is just meaningless. And here's the four things. And he, like I said, left out God initially. He said the first thing we need to do is we need to look up. We need to look up. We need to see things from above because God is in control of time. He's in control of our seasons. He's in control of the balance of our life. And that challenges to look up and see that because it challenges the way that we look at the rest of the world. Then he's going to say, hey, look in. Look within. Look within yourself. When he looked within himself, he sees something here that is linked to God. And we'll see that in verse 11 here in just a moment when it says, God put eternity 
in our hearts. It's a link. Then he says, look ahead. Why does he say look ahead? Well, for this very reason. Death is coming to us all. Yeah, I know. Happy, cheery message. But the truth is, it is. None of us can outrun it. The fourth one we're going to look at, and it'll be next week, it's what starts at the chapter 4, and that is look around at the problems and the burdens of life from Christ's perspective. So this is what Solomon says. He says, look up, look in, look ahead, and look around as you think about those four ingredients we talked about already. The suffering, the death, the time, and the eternity. These four factors of looking are what keep our lives from becoming meaningless and monotonous. So, I've actually a handful of times, be it Ephesians, or sorry, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Here we're going to start in verse 1 as we begin to look up. He says these words, and we're just going to go kind of verse by verse, section by section throughout this whole thing. He says, there is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven. And I want you to notice that it says under heaven because the first two chapters have all been under the sun. He is now including God in the mix of it all. And the thing is, is when we read this, we're not shocked. We're not shocked because we know that everything that we go through in this life is a part of life. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you were raised, how you live. Everything we go through in this life is a part of life. Uh, as a matter of fact, you probably, well, I say you probably, I'm older than most. Uh, I feel like now in this room, because I keep getting older for some reason. Um, there was a show when I was growing up in the 80s, and the, the theme song of the show said, you take the good, you take the bad, you take it all, and there you have the what? The facts of life. Thanks for some people being old as me. Okay, I appreciate that. You have the facts of life. That is the truth of life. You take the good, you take the bad, and that's what you have. And, and this is where you see this, but... It's different when you look at that version under heaven versus under the sun. Because we realize that God has ordained a time for everything. Because if he didn't, chaos would ensue. Life would literally be impossible. There is an order to things, and it's because there is a great orderer that puts it into order. God has established that order. From before our birth to the moment of our death, God is accomplishing His divine purposes, even though we may not understand what He is doing or why He is doing it. The next 14 statements that we see that become that song, Solomon is showing us that God is at work in our lives and He's accomplishing His divine will. All events in our life come from God, and I'm going to say something you may disagree with, they are all good in their time. They're all good in His time. As a matter of fact, it says in verse 11, everything will be beautiful in its time, even in the most difficult parts of our lives. So let's look at them. He starts off with a big picture. Verse 2, a time to give birth and a time to die. That's the bookends of our life under the sun. Everything else mentioned in the next seven verses fits in between those two things. Birth and death are under God's control. Birth and death are under God's control. We may try and control them via abortion, or suicide, or birth control, but there is a time to give birth and a time to die that is ordained by God. The next thing he says, there's a time to plant and a time to uproot. So Solomon takes this idea of birth and death and starts speaking to the agricultural people that are in the crowd. He says, you can't force the seasons. You can plow and you can sow seed in the dead of winter, but guess what? 
Nothing's going to grow until the proper season. You can try and force those plants to live in the fall and continue to have the, the thing after the harvest, but it's not going to happen because you can't force the seasons. You know what? We can't do that in our lives either. We can't force the seasons. We just have to live within them. Then he says this, a time to kill and a time to heal. Now let's be clear up front, these are descriptions of seasons of life, not prescriptions of what to do. Okay? In that, we have to understand Ecclesiastes is not a James Bond movie, and you do not have a license to kill. But in this, what he is saying is that sometimes God allows death. Sometimes God allows death, and other times God allows healing. And, he, and he's, again, talking to the agricultural people, so take it from that perspective. How many of you guys have animals? We have animals. Most of us do. There's a time when you look at that animal and you realize that you need to do all you can to heal it. Of course, animals were probably more productive back then. They actually served a purpose versus my dog that just eats and sleeps. But they served a purpose. But at some point in time, that purpose is no longer and you have to say, am I going to kill or am I going to heal? There's a time for both in it all. Then he says there's a time to tear down and a time to build. There's a time that something ends and a time that something new begins. I mean, we just saw a picture of it right here. There's a, the time that your old life is gone and you've walked again to walk a new life, new life with Christ. I'll take a much more impersonal but still important example. I've lived here for 21 years and on the corner of Southern and Unser has always been Brenda's car wash. I've used that car wash a handful of times. That car wash is completely gone now and God is raising up a raisin canes. <laughs> Something old? Yeah, car wash. Something new? Raisin canes. And there you have it. It's right next to Chick-fil-A. That's their business model. So you have two chicken places right next to each other. It's going to be a wonderful thing. And as you begin to, as you begin to look at that, as you begin to look at that, you have to understand that's the same thing in each of our lives. There's a time to tear down and there's a time to build. Then he goes, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Guys, we live in a cruel and crooked, ugly world. It's cursed. And the unfortunate reality is the people that you're laughing with today are people you might be mourning with or even mourning over tomorrow. That is the reality of this life. Life has moments where we laugh and dance, but it also has moments where we weep and we mourn. I think Rob Bass put it best when he said, joy and pain, sunshine and rain. It's all part of the cycle. It's all that balanced life. I mean, you have to have sunshine and rain to have growth. And that's the truth of what we're seeing here. And he says there's a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. Now, this is an interesting statement that most of us probably don't, deal with on a regular basis but it goes back to agriculture and that back to agriculture is this you would plow your fields and in that area of the of the world the fields were very rocky you'd plow those fields you get all the rocks out you gather those rocks and get them out of the way in order to have productive fields but if you were going to be devious and didn't particularly like your neighbor you would take those rocks and you'd throw them in their field that's what he's trying to say here there's time to throw those stones and be devious and being destructive. And there's also times to be productive. That happens in our lives as well. There's a time to embrace and there's a time to avoid embracing. This is about friendships and relationships. If you watch The Office, you know there was a shun and an unshun. Shun, unshun, that's what this is. Embrace, that's the unshun. That's, that's a give a hug. 
That's to say welcome. And then there's the, I'm not going to hug you. I don't want anything to do with you. That's the avoid the embrace. That is the shun part of it all. That is the, we're not going to continue this relationship. And there's times in our lives that you have to say goodbye. There's times you say welcome, times you say goodbye. Next verse says, a time to search and a time to count is lost. I think that's self-explanatory. After you search for so long, you're like, I just can't find it. I just need to get something else. I need to go buy something else. Whatever the case might be, that's where he's at. And then he says, a time to keep and a time to throw away. This is the garage sale verse. It's the hoarders verse. We were bored the other night, and Christy's like, hey, they got a hoarders episode. I wonder what that's about. Have you ever seen one of those? Oh, my word. We just watched one, and I was thoroughly disgusted enough to watch a second one. It literally is like watching a train wreck. But the first one, they cleaned out this lady's house, um, and it had been since the late 90s, and by the time they got the house clean, you could tell because the wallpaper on the walls was still very early 90s. Even if that, the carpet was light blue in one section, green in another section, red in another section, very much my childhood. But they took out 25,000 pounds of trash. That wasn't what they donated. That wasn't what they sold. That was just trash. 10 2,500 pound dumpsters. I was, like I said, appalled and disgusted. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, I, I can't believe somebody could live like that. There is a time to keep and there is a time to throw away. A time to tear, uh, sorry, yeah, a time to tear and a time to sow is what it says in verse 7. This refers to a time of repentance or grief where the custom would be where you tear your clothes that ripping of the clothes in such pain and agony. There's a time for that. But the beautiful thing about God, again, is this world is not it. This world is not it. Even though this world has everything, it has nothing for me. It has nothing for me to hold on to. And we turn to God and we begin to sow things when we have torn and grief. We begin to mend things back together. There's a time of hurt and we look to God to help us bring those things. The mending of our heart that is broken or mending of a relationship that is broken. This is a time to be silent and a time to speak. This might be one you guys want to highlight. I had to because this is one that I need to remember. There is a time to speak and there's another time to... That's it. Stop talking. And this, there's a time when you know you need to say something but you still shouldn't say it. And then there's a time when you do need to speak up and speak that truth in love. A time to love and a time to hate. A time to love and a time to hate. At what point in time do you hate? The other day I, I was reading a, a thing on, uh, uh, online. It was about the Chicago Sun-Times. That there's a new quarterback in Green Bay to hate and his name is Love. Because everybody in, in Chicago hates everybody in Green Bay and vice versa. The feeling is very mutual. And, and the thing is, is that at what t- point in time do we hate? There'll be times we see things that we hate and we have to stand up and say something. There'll be times we see someone hurting we have to extend the need to love them as much as we can. That time to love and time to hate can be a personal level but it can also be on the national level. And that's why he says this next, there's a time for war and a time for peace. I know lots of people don't like this verse because if you've ever seen war or seen the effects of war between individuals or between nations, you know there's a destructive and long-term devastation that takes place, both in the individual's hearts and minds, the individuals that are part of the country that are fighting. That's why we have so many 
veterans that commit suicide. 22, is it 22 a day or 22 an hour? But any, any which way, you see that because there's this PTSD that, that lingers and so many different things that they, they have to go through to fight it out. This is, this is what we see. There, there's a time for war and there's a time for peace. But I think we all actually long for peace because that's the longing that God has put in our hearts. The problem is we live in a fallen world. We live in a selfish world. We live in a world that has injustice all around. There is a point where tyranny over rights needs to end. But there's also times where it's better solutions than there is to have that become a war. So we come to the end of this big poem and we need to look at each season between origin and destiny and see this, that God is working through everything for our good and His glory in the good times and in the bad. We may not understand, but you know what? That's okay. As a matter of fact, you go back to the end of chapter 1, Solomon talks about that the more knowledge you have, the more grief you have. So sometimes it's okay not to know. But we do need to know this. It's a lot like a doctor's prescription for medication. Now, this might not be the perfect example, but pharmaceutical companies, they, they take individual ingredients that, if taken by themselves, can be very harmful But they take those ingredients and they mix them, they blend them, and they create a proper blend for healing. That's the way God works. The time and purpose for everything, the good, the bad, the proper blend for healing. And this side note, that thinking doesn't take away our responsibility or our freedoms. It actually works in conjunction with it. So first he says, look up. Then he says, look within. Look within. The first eight verses, Solomon says, this is what changed from under the sun. This is what happens when we add God's influence with under the heaven. To include God in our thinking, when we bring God into the picture, we have a new perspective. We see life differently. So in verse 9, he asks the same question he asked back in chapter 1, verse 3. He says this, he says, what does the worker gain from his struggles? He comes back around to that question that, is all this work worth it? From the chapter 1 perspective of under the sun, without God. No, it's all meaningless. But now he has a new perspective, and this is what he says as he answers that question in verse 10. I have seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. So from one perspective, life is meaningless. But from the new perspective, God has given the gift of life. He's given us the gift of life. God has given us the gift of work. From that perspective, it changes our attitude towards life and towards work. It changes our attitude really towards everything. When you look at things from God's perspective, it changes your attitude towards everything. And if we see that life and everything in it is a burden, guess what? That's exactly what it's going to be. But if you see it as a gift, you will see it that way as well. Because the outlook helps determine the outcome. Mindset matters. Perspective matters. Life is a gift. And I'll tell you what, it could always be worse. I, I talk to people all the time who just think their life is miserable. And I said, hey, let's go on a mission trip to a third world country. Let me really show you how bad life could be. I mean, there are people that, that just completely miss it. And there's a, there's a narcissistic, self-absorbed, selfish mindset that, that, oh, God's just doing all this to me. But no, he's using it to grow you. And again, things could be worse. Verse 11, it says, he's made everything appropriate in its time. 
He's also put eternity in their hearts, but no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. Not only life is a gift, life is a link to eternity. We are more than our yesterday. We're more than our past. We are more than even today. We are linked to eternity. Our lives are linked to forever. God's put eternity in our hearts and it won't be until we actually get there, until we actually experience eternity in heaven with him that we're going to comprehend what God is actually doing. Right now we're bound by the construct of time. We can't know everything and we won't know everything in this life. But God's given us this crazy spark on our soul to recognize there is more. See, every great story has a beginning. Once upon a time, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. The best of times, it was the worst of times. Every story starts with a somewhere, a somehow, with a someone. Your great story began with God. It starts with God. God has been working in your life since before you were born. Since before you were born, He has known you. He knew all about you. As a matter of fact, Psalm 139, 16 says, Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. See, God prepared the pages of your story long before you were even aware there was a story. He's got this all planned out and he's prepared every day for you. And in those days, when we don't feel like God's got the right mindset, that he's got our intentions in mind, the great thing is he has grace and mercy that is new for us every morning. And, and even in that, his faithful love never ends. If you hold on to that perspective, we don't need to know the future. We just need to know that God does. And we need to trust him in that. I like how C.S. Lewis puts it. He says, Our Heavenly Father has provided many great ends for us along our journey. But he takes great care to see that we do not mistake any of them for home. This is not the end. There's more to it. That link to eternity, there's more to it. Then he picks up in verse 12. He says, I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It's also the gift of God whenever anyone each drinks and enjoys all of his efforts. I know that everything God does will last forever. There is no adding to it or taking from it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. So life is a gift. Life is a link to eternity, but life has gifts between the birth and eternity, between birth and our destiny. Solomon says, enjoy the gifts of God. Enjoy them, enjoy life. From the proper perspective that life is a gift and is attached to eternity, we will see those gifts differently. See, when we see from that first perspective, that meaningless perspective, he's only living for himself and he's only living to die. But when you realize there's more to this life than just living and dying, more than just trying to make it through the day, Stephen Curtis Chapman, in case you're wondering, that we would live in awe of God and His works and His plans, we realize that life is full of meaning. And there's a life full of meaning lived in Him. Living for Him and following His plan makes this life manageable. Because when you're living for yourself, it's not. 
The good days and the bad days all have purpose as we move towards eternity and we realize that when we're living for Him. So look up. See that God's in control. Look within and see that God's working in you and now we look ahead. Look at verse 15. It says, Whatever is has already been. Whatever will be already is. However, God seeks justice for the persecuted. Going back to chapter 1. He said life is a cycle. Life is a cycle. And it's a cycle that God allows us to learn from. It keeps happening over and over again. Remember, People who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it, right? And we're supposed to be learning. Some of us are slower learners than others, but we're supposed to be learning through each of these cycles. But one thing that we learn is that life moves pretty fast. Life moves pretty fast. As a matter of fact, I believe Ferris Bueller tells us that. In 1986, I was 10 years old, and somehow, some way, my parents allowed me to go watch Ferris Bueller in the movie theater. My parents weren't great at parenting sometimes. This is probably one of those examples. But I remember in that movie, and it's something I've held on to all the time, life moves pretty fast. At 10 years old, you're not thinking that. You're thinking life moves really slow. But now I look back, life moves pretty fast. If you don't slow down and look around once in a while, you might just miss it. You might just miss it. Now, we have to be careful not to miss it. But this is what we also need to remember. God does not miss it. Everything we do in our time and with our time and everything that is done to us will be brought into account. He knows. He knows. And another one of the lessons that we also learn is this. It's when we learn from very young age and that is life is not fair. Life is not fair. Kids know it because they say it all the time. That's not fair. And my response is, you're right. It's not. Learn from it now because it's going to get worse. That, that is the truth of the matter. And Solomon says the same thing. Look what it says in verse 16. I also observed under the sun, back under the sun again, there is wickedness at the place of judgment and there is wickedness at the place of righteousness. I said to myself, God will judge the righteous and the wicked since there is a time for every activity and every work. So Solomon switches back to under the sun and he shows how crooked world, or how crooked this world really is. He says, wickedness abounds everywhere even where it shouldn't. The crooked world makes life unfair. The court systems, the political systems, they're both corrupt. I love the Robin Williams uh, skit where he says, politicians should be like NASCAR drivers. They should wear patches for everybody who sponsors them on them so at least we know where their money's coming from. Uh, that, that is the absolute truth. We want to believe differently, but, but that is the truth. We see that there is ne- abuse. There is neglect. These, these systems are broken. The rich get richer, the poor get poorer, and that leads to the question that many use as an excuse to dismiss God altogether. How can God be in control when there's so much evil in the world? How could there be a God when the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? Those are real questions. There's so much injustice. God can't be real. And I say this, even though there's injustice in the world, because the world's broken, it's still not the end of the story. It's still not the end of the story. God may correct it within time that we have between origin and destiny. There may be things that do get corrected. It's kind of like that guy who's driving erratically down 528, and you're just like, God, please let there be a cop, and there is one. And you're like, yes, justice is served. What's that feeling you have inside? But there's going to be other times that there isn't one. And there is no justice, at least here. God still has appointed a time there will be a judge. And they'll be judged righteously and fairly. True, true justice will prevail. 
I like to say it this way. Injustice may have its day, but justice gets eternity. And that's what we need to hold on to. And he says, why next? Look at verse 18. I said to myself, this happens so that God may test the children of Adam and they may see for themselves they are like animals. Injustice happens so we can see ourselves from a human perspective. We can see who we are as sinners. We all have beastly qualities in us, don't we? And the injustice in the way we treat people and use people makes that beastly quality shine brightly, doesn't it? What is it that makes us a predator to use people and take advantage of them? We call it sin nature. We rebel against God, we reject His plans, and we live life as if everything were all around us. That's what animals do. Here's what he says in verse 19. For the fate of the children of Adam and the fate of animals is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. People have no advantage over animals since everything is futile. We're back under the sun, by the way. Guess what? Without God in the picture, you are like an animal. You are like an animal. But being seen as a made in the image of God, we have a definite advantage over animals as far as life is concerned. Now the truth of death is is that men and animals will both die in their physical bodies. But even as we says next, all are going to the same place, all come from dust, all return to dust, we have to remember this. Man is fragile. Our earthly bodies are temporary. Our existence here is temporary. From the human perspective, without God, we are dead, just like animals are. Our existence is no different than my dog's existence. You're not sure why you were born. So you might as well do all you can while you can until you can't. That that is our response. Now I want you to see, this is my dog Maverick. Maverick was born on 4th of July. So we had to come up with a patriotic name for him. But Maverick has no concept of why he exists. He has no concept of this. This is what he does. He likes to eat. He likes to sleep. He likes to let me know that Amazon showed up. And that's pretty much it. That's what he does. And the thing is, I've never seen him worry about why he exists. I've never seen him contemplate, what is it about life? That's never been crossing his mind. And that is the picture of an animal. That's the picture of a world with no God. So with that, we see verse 21. And he says these words, who knows if the spirit of the children of Adam go upward and the spirit of animals go downward. From a human perspective, the dead animal and dead human look exactly the same. But a godly perspective, that is not the case. Even though we may die like any other animal, because death again comes to everyone, we go back to the fact that our life is linked to eternity. Well, my dog may have a better nose than I do. The the turtle at the zoo may outlive me. The cheetah can definitely run faster. But the kangaroo can jump higher. In the realm of mind and spirit, I have superiority. You have superiority. Man, only man, has been made in the image of God. Only man has eternity linked to life. Again, my dog has never been concerned with his purpose. He never once questions his existence. Neither has any other animal. That desire of longing only falls on the human race. And that's important because... The one, the one who has eternity in their heart cannot ignore their higher purpose of life and still find satisfaction in what this world has to offer. 
The hard truth is that animals are a life that is life that is lived for a little while and then absorbed back to earth. But the human has something more, a hope for eternal life that has been set up by God and provided through Christ. So Solomon concludes this chapter in verse 22, and he includes it, a question to really wrap it all up. He says, I have seen there's nothing better than for a person to enjoy his activities because that is his reward. For who can enable him to see what will happen after he dies? So he answer, asks the question, but he doesn't answer it. The thing is, if you have a godly perspective, you know the answer. Eternity happens. And because eternity happens, he says, enjoy the gift of life, but live for eternity. Don't live for what's here, live for what's there. That's what he's trying to say. There's a Latin phrase that became popular in the movie Dead Poet Society. Maybe you remember it. It was carpe diem, which means seize the day. Here in New Mexico, we have changed it to carpe manana because it's going to happen eventually. But that's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. I think the better way that Solomon puts it is this. Accept the gifts of life. Enjoy it a day of time, but be satisfied in God. Not in your stuff, not in yourself, not in your accomplishments. Be satisfied in Him and recognize that He has given us this life. Grow in Him. Grow in character. Take that next step of faith. Grow in that faith. Live by that faith. Recognize that everything comes from us or comes to us is from a Father who is a wise Father who loves us and wants to make us more like His Son. That is the good things and the bad things. Even when circumstances aren't ideal, even when there is joy, even when there is pain, even though there's sunshine, even though there's rain, the reality is we can still be content in Him. I had Pastor Bruce read four verses, five verses from Philippians chapter four. He stopped in verse eight. Just a few verses later in verse 11, Paul says these words. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. Do you understand what Paul went through? Read the books of Corinthians and he explains what he went through. How could he say it during injustice and persecution and hardships that he was dealing with in his life? How could he say he was content? You know how he did it? Because he wasn't living for his best life now. That's a joke. He was living for eternity during this life now. And that's our challenge to do the same. Life is gift. Live for eternity and live this life with eternity in mind. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are and the way you continue to speak to us and continue to, to challenge us in our thinking, in our living, in the way that we walk, in the way that we act, in the way that we talk. This world has so many things to offer us, promising that our quest will be fulfilled. But it's a lie. This stuff is not going to satisfy. We know, because you've put eternity in our hearts, that you have linked us to that, that there is something more. There is something more for each and every one of us. Sometimes we want to fool ourselves and say, well, if I just had a little bit more of blank, then I'd be okay. But we know that's not the truth. We know that's not the case. What is the case is that there's you. You've given us life, you've given us death, and you've given us everything in between. You've ordained it, and all we have to do is cooperate with you in it, to live with you in it, to abide in you in it, to experience what Paul has, contentment. What we all want, 
a peace of knowing there's something more and that you are that something more. God, for those in here who know you already, I pray that you give them the strength and the wisdom to live for you. For those of you in here that don't know you already, God, I pray that you're working in their hearts and minds to draw them closer to you and see them take that next step of accepting your son as their savior and then even making that public proclamation of baptism just like friends and family did right here today. God, we give you all the praise and all the glory this morning as we continue to live out your word. We pray it in your name. Amen.